Hello and welcome to another episode of the Theo Keeps Talking podcast, where you may laugh or you may learn. Available on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. My name is Theo, and the most important question of the day. How are you all doing? Last week was part one of my little work story series that I'm doing on the podcast. I talked about working for two summers at Panera Bread, some funny experiences that went along with that, as well as the first two jobs that I did while attending classes freshman year. So you can check that out whenever you want. Today's a fun one. I'm discussing all of the one of the other jobs that I had in Philly during my freshman year, and it was quite the ride. So I wanted to detail that for you all today. In some real world news, the inauguration was this week. A lot of social media memes about how Bernie Sanders was sitting at the event, and those have been great. Um, Kamala Harris's nephew-in-law wore Dior Jordan 1s to the inauguration, so that made some waves on Twitter. Amanda Gorman was the youngest inaugural poet in history, and she recited a sensational poem titled The Hill We Climb, which was really good. Uh, other than that, usual things happening in the world, COVID, it's cold, not much else. So for the recommendation section, I uh, got a few songs I've been listening to. Um, Could Have Been by Her featuring Bryson Tiller. For Us by Division. Reckless by Aaron Ray. And I, I listened to Good Days by SZA. And I don't know. I, I don't think that it's bad but it just hasn't grown on me like other SZA songs in the past. But, it, I mean, hey, it's not bad. Some podcasts. I've been listening to the I Am Athlete podcast, which is very, very funny. And then there's a YouTube recommendation I have. I just have to bring it up real quick because... Oh, so two. I have two YouTube recommendations. One of them I think I've mentioned before, it's called Creator Economics, which I think is really good. Um, Blake Robbins, he's like one of the co- he works in venture capital, co-founder of 100 Thieves, one of my favorite uh, companies out there. And Reed Dushner, he is the he's Mr. Beast's manager. So, uh, you know, they just talk about like content creation and monetization and there's in like the digital space which is really cool and they kind of you know do some educational topics like on their youtube channel and they have a podcast too so i think that's really cool and then the other one is also a youtube channel it's called athletic interest and they more or less talk about the economics and the breakdowns on how certain sports ideas can be incredibly profitable so i wanted to shout those out because they've been really cool so let's get into 
the main part of the story here. I don't think this one, this episode will be too long. Uh, last week, I talked about my first college job working for Drexel Athletics and my second one as a volunteer income tax assistant in the Philadelphia area. Um, so my third job, <laughs> if the title didn't give it away, I worked at Models in Center City. Let me describe the situation to you. In Philadelphia, there's this shopping area in Center City and the streets themselves have a definitive difference to them. On Chestnut Street, there's more traditional stores, low price point like H&M, Foot Locker, Five Below, all that. Then on Walnut Street, there's more high-end stores. There used to be a Zara, a Madewell, a Jack Wills. There is an Apple store. There used to be an Under Armour brand house. So you, you get the deal. These are higher end stores. But there was already a Models on Chestnut Street while they were trying to open up a high end version of Models on Walnut Street. So if you think of Models, you probably think of generic equipment not high-end stores, you think of modest price points, all that. But in 2016, they wanted to open a higher-end version of Models. And for the Philly listeners, like the long-time like residents of Philadelphia, if you were, do you remember City Sports, the the store City Sports? This Models replaced City Sports. Which was weird because City Sports was super economic, low price points and all that. And this was supposed to be high price point. What do I mean by high price point? The store wanted to sell high quality running shoes, authentic NBA, NFL, and even soccer jerseys high quality running shoes and shorts and shirts and all that. And the point was that Models believed that they were losing money to higher end competitors and wanted to branch into a higher income bracket of consumer. And it that experiment had gone pretty well in Times Square and Boston so they wanted to do it in Philly as well. But Philly already has so many stores like Philadelphia Runner, who cater to how many people are avid runners in the city. So they were entering a contested market. So the managers hired me before the store was even open for business. <laughs> One day, some of the managers set up a table in the gym on campus where I practically lived freshman year, said they were hiring, and I was about it. I knew I was one foot out of the door from my other positions, so I was willing to try something new. I initially thought that 
I was going to be working at the one on 15th and Chestnut. It's kind of on 16th. It's like right at the end of the 1500 block. So whatever on Chestnut Street. But they said that they're hire that they weren't the store they were hiring for wasn't open yet. And initially they needed me to help set up the new store. So there were several mornings and I mean several what felt like weeks, I believe, where your shift was just to unload the moving truck with all the stuff on it and build shelves. I learned a lot about moving and building in those three weeks. <laughs> so once the store was about 75% away from opening, they started sectioning us off into roles for the grant opening and normal operations of the store. The store had three managers, a and that was comprised of a general manager, a footwear manager, and an apparel manager. The footwear manager was the one who liked me the least, but wanted me to work with him. So I was like, you know, whatever, as long as I don't have to fold clothes. <laughs> so the overall benefit of being in footwear was that since we were, quote unquote, a higher end models, you could sell based off of commission. So if you sold five pairs of shoes in a shift, you would then get, I think, 2% of the sales price added to your paycheck for the end of the shift, which was cool. In theory. <laughs> More on that later. So the thing about the store, our store, was that it was selectively high-end. What do I mean? If you wanted quality running shoes and running apparel and running accessories, oh, we had that. We sold this Nike running shirt, short sleeve. It had this silver reflective design on it that looked like wings. And it cost over $100. And I was very, very new to the hardcore running scene. So I was like, why is this shirt so expensive? And my manager explained like the physics and the aerodynamics and the thermodynamic, you know, whatever of the shirt. And my head was spinning <laughs> a bit through the process of the store gaining its feel. We started selling Garmin GPS watches and Fitbits and all that stuff. So we were running heavy. We were a running heavy store because we were running heavy. I had to learn a lot about running shoes. Before I had worked at Models, I had heard of Asics before, but I'd never heard of brands like Brooks or Saucony or any of those higher end running shoes. In addition, I didn't know what certain running shoes were for. What I mean is I didn't know that if your feet, excuse me, I didn't know that your feet have a shifting pattern when you run. I learned that if your weight tends to be on the outside of your foot, that's called supination. And if the weight tends to be on the inside of your foot, that is called 
pronation. And certain running shoe types are geared towards helping you if you do one or the other. So let's say someone would come in looking for running shoes. I'd ask if they were an avid runner or just trying to get into it. If they said they were an avid runner, I'd ask if they knew if their feet pronate or supinate when they run. Most of the time, people knew, but my manager taught me how to notice which one they did or if they if they would know to know which one they did if they didn't know by what by observing how they walk and or jog in front of me yeah uh, you know when you're when you're in training for taxes and in the middle of a pandemic sometimes your brain just kind of you know (laughs) so depending on what these people told me i'd get the shoe that worked best for them and on the other side if someone was new to running or didn't or their feet didn't do either they didn't rotate to the outside or shift to the inside or whatever like that i'd recommend a balanced shoe for them which is basically a shoe that isn't corrective at all nike new balance under armor puma adidas all those all of those shoes do not correct you at all they are all balanced shoes fun fact before i get to the next point (laughs) please whatever you do don't find it a habit to do intense levels of workouts in nike air maxes (laughs) because well there's actually air in there and i know you're like well duh but i mean that if you exert enough force on your air maxes the bubble can actually pop in your shoe and you can get hurt (laughs) so like the air max 270s you know how like there's that cushion in the back be really careful because they're that like if you jump too much or on even older air max models with that bubble in the back just be careful because uh your shoe can pop (laughs) so be careful um in addition to the high-end areas of the store, that year, the Copa Americas soccer tournament was going to have a match held in Philadelphia. So we had a lot of authentic soccer jerseys. Like, we had Bayern Munich, the German national team. We had Dortmund, I believe. We had Riyadh. Excuse me. <clears throat> Dang, I am going through it. Um, <laughs> we had Real Madrid. So I think the case was that um, we had, I think, only Adidas authentic jerseys. That's what they all had in common. Those are all, at the time, Adidas jerseys. With the exception of the U.S. national team's jersey uh, for Copa Americas, which admittedly looked really cool. Now, remember how I said that the commission sales were cool in theory, how we got paid and how long we worked really didn't allow us to sell more than three or four pairs of shoes per shift unless it was any of the following days. 
the weekend after the first of the month, the weekend after the 15th of the month, midday, any Saturday, or the month of the Broad Street Run. That was basically it. People didn't routinely come in during the week to go shopping. It was usually lunch break exclusive. Then we get some people at night before they go to a Phillies game or something like that. And that's that's it, you know. And here's the macro level breakdown as to why sales weren't that high. We didn't have what people wanted. It is a much more complex than that. Yes, we had the nice running shoes. Yes, we had the nice apparel. But we were pretty average outside of that. Our higher tier marketing didn't match the actual inventory and product offering in the store. We didn't have golf stuff. The soccer cleats were meh. Every time we had the best shoe in a department, we'd sell out of it immediately. Then the rest of the stuff was painfully average or worse. We didn't have better or even comparable basketball shoes to the footlocker down the street. This was when Steph Curry was setting the world ablaze every night, and his shoes were some of the best-selling commodities on the planet in spring 2016, and we didn't even sell them. Models didn't have a contract with Under Armour to sell basketball shoes with them. If I'm not mistaken, I think Champ Sports is still the only store that Under Armour has an unlimited basketball shoe contract with. If that's not true, it changed recently because even the Foot Lockers in Times Square back in 2016-2017 didn't have the Curries because of contract regulations. So the hottest shoes were either sold out instantaneously and never restocked or we never had access to them in the first place. I remember when Kobe retired, Nike put out some exclusive Kobe's to go on sale that day. It was like a all black Kobe low, I believe, with the the swoosh was either like gold reflective or like rainbow gold, something like that. It was hot. It was a really nice looking shoe. And I'm not I'm not even really in the shoe game like that. I mean, I'm going to have some podcast guests in the future that actually know what they're talking about when it comes to shoes. And I like, I don't nothing realistically, but even I knew back then I'm like, Hey, could you like call up the distribution warehouse to my manager? Like make sure we get some Kobe's cause people are going to ask. Right. And I told them a month in advance and we didn't get them. And I cannot tell you how many people came in that day asking for the Kobe's. And I had to say no to all of those people because we didn't have them. And I mean, we would have easily sold like $5,000 worth of shoes that day alone. But nope. Models took L's. Models took L's. Another thing about commission. Another thing. It didn't last long. (laughs) We weren't generating a ton of sales for all of the reasons I listed above 
and many others, included but not limited to, there was another Models across the street. We were always out of stock of the best stuff we had. A lot of people didn't even know our store existed or that it was even different from the other Models. And people readily preferred the King of Prussia and the Franklin Mills Models, which I might add, the King of Prussia Models might be the worst store in that mall. Like it, it couldn't even hold a candle to the Dick Sporting Goods in the same mall. But you know what? That's besides the point. <laughs> so, overall, the store wasn't even doing too hot. and But one of the worst parts about it was how paychecks went. So, Models paid us weekly, which isn't bad. But, Models makes all of their employees join a union for protection and all that stuff, right? great idea in theory but you have to pay union dues out of every paycheck for the first three months you work there so tell me how long do you think a college student or a high school student's tenure at a part-time job usually lasts huh exactly the entire time I worked there, from March to June until I went back home for the only summer break in college I ever had, I was paying union dues for a union I wouldn't even reap the benefits of. L like, literally my last paycheck would have been the last one I paid dues out of had I stayed. But nope. Took that L. And they were stingy, too. Like, it was, they, we had meetings. So, Models had meetings every, I think it's every five hours in a day, or basically the morning shift and, like, the afternoon to evening shift. You have, like, team meetings to, like, kind of kick off what our selling points were and, you know, what items should we try to sell. And every, literally, they had rates and percentages for everything they said um yeah our upsell rate was only at 20 percent or some blah 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 is only at 19 percent um then like the customer in turnover rate was only you know something like that because they had they have a camera system that would check if when people come in and based on how many people would come in how many people buy things how many people buy more than one item per uh, transaction? How many people buy, uh, what is it, what is it? How many people buy shoe, like related item transactions? So shoes with socks or uh, sh uh, shirts with shorts or shirts with a jacket. And we had to try to like make the customers do those things in unison all the time. And sometimes it didn't even make sense. You know what I mean? A lot of it was, yeah, you know, uh, that we call it, we'd call a meeting and they say, hey, we have a deal, uh, buy these, like, make sure that you're trying to upsell these socks, right? And they're not even that good. Like, we were on the downswing of the Nike Elite sock era, 
but these are like bright neon crew length socks or no, no, they were yeah, no, they were crew length or crew length socks. The ones with no ankle. I don't know. Anyway, these were the ankle socks, right? They don't even go up past your ankle. Right. And they were like bright neon colors and they came in and they came in packs of three, I believe. And we had this deal. It was like, yeah, pack is $3, but you get two for five. And you were trying to push the upsell on these socks that no one wants uh, to, <laughs> to these people, right? Why would someone who's a dedicated runner want socks like that? You know, if, if the number one thing we're trying to sell is running shoes and running related things, why would someone want really cheap socks to go along with their purchases and things like that doesn't make any sense another one we had to try to upsell were sneaker balls which would basically be like air fresheners for your shoes and trust me i cannot tell you how many times we try we had to try to upsell them it was like a we did a team like a internal promotion one time of Whoever sold the most sneaker balls in a week got like $5 or something like that. Um, and it, and it's hard because if you think about a store like Models, most Models are in malls. They're not really standalone. So it's much easier when you go to a mall that you're prepared to walk around the mall with all your stuff, right? especially if you're buying shoes, you're, you probably came in a car or Uber, whatever the case may be. So you're, you come mentally ready to walk out with a large item most times, and you're okay with carrying it around. But when you, when you're in a city and in most of the time you're catching a train or a bus to transport all your items, it's less and less likely someone's going to on a whim, see a pair of shoes and buy it. Right. Because you're now carrying around a big item, like a, a shoebox isn't, regardless of how big your feet are or aren't, a shoebox isn't something tiny or portable or anything like that. Now you're carrying that around to your, either your next destination if you're trying to run errands, maybe even back to your job and you have to carry an entire shoebox back to your job. You know, you can't stick shoes in your purse. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's it's so much harder to do that, especially, like I said, people would come in more on lunch breaks than not. But it was primarily on weekends when people probably set out their entire day to shop and stuff like that. <clears throat> so it was hard trying to get people to buy shoes because there's not a person on the planet who's gone into a sporting goods store and it's like, yep, I would like sneaker balls, please, to like freshen up my shoes. You know what I mean? It's almost like if someone's buying shoes, you better sell, 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 sell those sneaker balls to go with them. And a lot of people took it personally. <laughs> They're like, oh, you're saying my feet are going to smell? And I'm just like, I mean, you're buying workout shoes. Are you... Do, do your feet smell good after you work out? Like, I, I don't know. Some people took it really personally. I'm just like, dog, I'm gonna keep it a thousand. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to make my boss like stay in good favor with me. You know, like that's really it here. I don't really care about this company. I'm, this is just a part-time job. Right. 
um, some shoes I got to know really well. Um, the Nike FS Light Run 3s. I think I know everything there is to know about that shoe. Everything. I mean, literally everything. Um, the price point we were selling them at was $79.99 and our promotions were $69.99 for a lot of weeks. Um, I was, I, it was literally, I think my most sold shoe and it has the, <laughs> the mesh upper and a breathable center and a flexible nature of the shoe that over if you're running on or training in any surface the shoe adapts to whatever surface you're running in and all that stuff i know it's too much about that shoe um and one of the other things about models that was really disappointing was that we didn't have colorways of shoes like if you looked at a shoe on the wall so I, I should just I should describe this. We had a display wall for all the shoes, but none of the inventory, none of the shoe boxes were on the floor. If you'd have to tell us what shoe you want, then we'd have to run downstairs, like literally down a flight of stairs to where all the shoes actually were, look for it, and then come back up. And the idea was that so you weren't wasting time, energy, and your customers' time. You ask them, hey, what shoe do you want? And then you bring them all the sizes of the shoe. So like if they say they're a seven and a half and you bring up just a seven and a half, they're like, and eh, it's a little tight. You'd have to go back downstairs again and look for a seven or an eight. So what they would tell us to do is bring up their size they want, a size up from what they want, and then an adjacent shoe that's like kind of similar in their size that they said. So basically, if you wanted, what's a good example? An A6 GT 2000, remember off the top of my head. Uh, we would bring you the A6 you want in your size, a half size up, and then I'd bring you like uh, A6 GT 1000 or I could bring you a Saucony shoe or Brooks or something like that. And that would be the process of us trying to figure out what what works best for you. And there weren't any colorways. Whatever color you saw on that wall was the color we had. Except for like the highest billing, like the highest price shoes out there, like the 120s and ups. It was only one color usually. So like, we had this really, really bright blue um, ASIC shoe that sold really well. And we had a pink variation, but the pink variation sold out really fast because everyone liked that one better. And then people would come in and see the color we have and be like, hey, do you have this shoe? And I'd be like, yeah, we do. They're like, okay, cool. Do you have it in this color? And I'd be like, no. We, we don't, <laughs> and we never would, we never would. Whatever color you saw on that wall, that was it, you know what I mean? And it was it was hard because we, I, I, I mean, at least like, I feel like 35% of my, of the times where a customer wanted a shoe and didn't buy it was because, wasn't even because of size, it was just because of color, you know? Like, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like this, if someone told you like, there's a New Balance shoe you want, 
and you're looking for a certain color, like a gray or a black, but they have it in blue, you're going to come in and be like, hey, do you have this in gray or black? And they say no. You're not going to just settle for the blue just because you like the shoe. You're probably just going to leave and go somewhere else for the color. You know what I mean? There's certain shoes that you wear, obviously, for um, functional purposes, but you also want the color, too. Um, And that happened a lot, like a lot, a lot. Um, Another example, we had a lot of doctors. A lot of doctors wore running shoes. And it wasn't specifically that they ran. It's just because they stood all day. So a lot of doctors like the Asics, a lot of doctors like the Brooks, because they could literally just, they're on their feet all day long. Um, And another thing about the running shoes was that the Brooks and Asics people, if if a new version of their favorite shoe came out, they would come in and try it on. And be like, okay, I'll take two pairs of the same exact shoe. Because they know they like it. So they're literally just going to buy it twice. So that if they actually like wear, if they wear their shoes down, they're actually, (laughs) they're actually just going to get the second pair out of the closet and just wear them because they like them that much which was really interesting like i never knew that people routinely did that but it was interesting you know um one last work story that was kind of interesting so (laughs) um i don't know what it is about um just about like the co-workers i get sometimes but there's this guy I worked with. I don't even remember his name at this point. But there's this guy I worked with that he had no idea how to describe shoes. Like, we went through this whole training together. But if someone came to him and was like, hey, can you, like, uh, my feet rotate to the outside or whatever. Can you get me a shoe that works for me? He just couldn't do it. Like, it was like circle in a square hole for him. And then they were like, okay, we're going to move you to apparel because, like, you're just not getting it. He goes, cool, cool, cool. And he just didn't understand how to sell something. Like, it was just, like he just literally didn't belong in this job in the slightest. And it, it came at the expense of the fact that we had basically a Karen. We basically had a Karen on our job. Her name was Sarah. And Sarah was a snitch. And that's just how, that's the reputation she gained for herself. Sarah was a snitch. So anytime he did anything wrong at all, I wouldn't do any, I wouldn't really say anything. I'd just let him do what he wanted. She would tell the managers instantaneously over the radio, instantaneously. She would be like, yeah, uh, you know, he, he dropped the, uh, he accidentally re-racked the smalls in the, in the large category on the hanger. And like, we just got so tired of her constantly constantly telling like the managers everything that he did all the time it was just so brutal i couldn't believe it then there was this one day there was this one day in particular where sarah was like yeah uh guys i'll be in in late today i broke my back and i'm like what does that mean like you did what you broke your huh and she said, 
yeah, I was of weightlifting uh, accident, broke my back, blah, blah. This woman was like 26, right? So she was snitching on kids, then broke her back one day, and then just came in at like 10.30 in a back brace. She was supposed to come in at 9, came in at 10.30 in a back brace. And then she had the audacity to mention it all the time. She's like, hey, uh, so-and-so, can you pick this up for me? I can- Oh, so-and-so, can- if you cannot functionally perform your job, maybe you shouldn't be at work today. I don't know. I don't know. That's just me. But hey, in conclusion, outside of all that, I left June to greener pastures and brighter things like offices and <laughs> didn't really have much affiliation with the company afterwards then to make it more present day to wrap up models with all those l's on march 11th 2020 the new york times reported that models filed for chapter 11 bankruptcy and closing all of its physical stores so it's not even that they wouldn't have survived the pandemic. It just happened to be the last straw. Farewell, Models. Nothing but else, Models. R.I.P. Bozo. We won't miss you. <laughs> that concludes part two of Work Stories. This was fun. Part three coming soon. That one. That will be, the, I think, the last episode I kind of talk about another work experience in Philadelphia. I hope you all have a great day, week, weekend whenever you listen to this. Stay safe, wear that mask, stay hydrated, and I'll catch you all next time.